Uh, good morning. Good morning. There it is. Uh, good morning. Happy Advent. Yeah. Um, so Advent is, is about birth, right? And um, nothing, nothing is more, um, nothing in my life has been more um, awe-filled and joy-filled than seeing and being at the birth of my two daughters. Um, the birth of a child is something that's, it's so weighty in so many different ways so that if you see it out of its proper context, it can be a bit overwhelming. Uh, if anybody's seen um, a video of, of a childbirth, um, it can hit you in a particularly powerful way when it's not your child. But when you're there and actually experiencing um, the birth of um, a baby, it, it really truly uh, overwhelms the soul with a degree of awesomeness and joy. I think it's one of God's greatest sort of living poems about joy and hope and life. Um, this morning, we're going to look at uh, three annunciations of births. Um, usually, we just sit with Mary, um, the annunciation of Jesus' birth. But this morning, we're going to look at three annunciations throughout um, history and throughout salvation history and scripture. Um, annunciations that all speak hope into hopelessness and that shape both this season and our lives. So before we jump in, um, please pray with me. Uh, God, you are, you are awesome and faithful, um, kind and gracious and loving. Um, in this Advent season, Lord, um, we have the privilege of reflecting on your birth, reflecting on the fact that you love us so much that you uh, deigned to become a man um, in humble circumstance, uh, made low that you might be exalted um, and that you might make us your children. Um, Father, please be with us this morning. I pray that you would speak through my words, give us sensitive ears and hearts. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the first uh, annunciation of a birth uh, in scripture is actually in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Um, and it is, uh, again, a story of hope being spoken into hopelessness. Uh, Adam and Eve have sinned. Uh, they're hiding in the garden, and God has come into the garden in a cloud of judgment. He's come in a theophany, God in his powerful presence, in a cloud of storm and thunder, and he's coming through the garden, and he calls out to them, asks them where they are, um, and they are there hiding. Uh, there's a little bit of blame game that takes, takes place, uh, but they're hiding because they've sinned, and they, they, they know that the punishment um, for their disobedience is death. So they're waiting to be executed by God. Um, and before God uh, executes uh, the curse that is to fall upon them, uh, which they know is death, um, he proclaims the judgment on Satan. And it's in the judgment of Satan that we have the first birth annunciation in scripture. Uh, it's in Genesis 3. Uh, it reads, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are all livestock, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. Uh, you will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. So you can imagine Adam and Eve, they're hiding. Um, God has come in powerful judgment, storm cloud of thunder and fire. And he calls out to them and they know they're going to die. 
But as they're waiting for death, they hear the curse that God is pronouncing to the serpent. And in that curse, it says that I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Imagine how she and Adam would have heard that, between your offspring. Wait, we're going to have offspring? He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he then says, Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. She's going to be a mom. Adam is going to be a husband. They are, or a father. They are actually not going to be put to death here. Instead of death, God promises that they're going to become parents. And one day, one of their descendants is actually going to crush the head of the serpent forever. So in the face of hopelessness, in the face of the expectation of death, God brings words of joy and life and hope, not just for Adam and Eve, but for all of mankind. As the announcement foreshadows the Christmas birth announcement, we get the foreshadow of the birth of Jesus and that announcement that will come. But hope being spoken into a situation of hopelessness, an expectation of death being turned into an expectation of life, the enunciation that they're actually going to have a baby. Well, the second that I want to look at is in Genesis 18. It's the enunciation of Isaac's birth. This second announcement takes place with two old people. Um, They're in their 90s. They're long past the age when their bodies could make babies. And they're still childless, even though God has promised that they'll have descendants uh, that would be as many and as full as the stars in the sky. Uh, As Abraham and his wife Sarah are traveling towards Sodom, the Lord and two messengers show up They speak to Abraham, they speak to his wife, and Abraham immediately goes and and gets, um, asks uh, Sarah to bake some bread, uh, gets a servant to slaughter a calf, makes some food, and takes it to the three uh, visitors. Um, And as they eat, uh, Abraham stands off under a tree, and they begin to speak to him. And the Lord says, where is your wife Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, And Sarah, your your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Again, hope spoken into hopelessness with the announcement of a child. Um, And sure enough, in a year, that is exactly what would happen. Sarah and Abraham, who are in their 90s, who had had this promise for decades that they were going to have a child, that their descendants would be like the, the stars in the sky, like the sand on the shore, that their descendants would actually bless the entire world. They're barren into their 90s, and now God shows up. Into that hopelessness, he speaks this word you're going to have a child, and you're going to have a child next year. The son of laughter is going to be his name, Isaac. And Isaac is going to be the father of Jacob, and Jacob's going to have 12 sons who are going to become the nation of Israel. God is rich in grace and faithfulness and surprise and humor. They are going to have a baby. Well, the final announcement is the one that we expect this time of year, the announcement to Mary. Uh, It's the beginning of the realization of the promise in the garden announcement. Um, it's also made possible by the fulfillment of the second announcement to Abraham and Sarah. Um, before we look at it, I want to tell you just a little bit about um, uh, a place that I visited a lot as a child. 
my mom was born in Utica, Kansas. Please raise your hand if you've been there. Fantastic. Uh, Utica, Kansas. Um, it's far western Kansas, not quite to the Colorado border. Um, and, and my memories of it as a child, there, are, uh, there were silos and grain bins. Um, the road in like Main Street downtown was like half dirt, half asphalt. Um, there's an old brick post office. It looks like something out of like Jesse James days. Um, there was a pool hall, a tiny little pool hall that my grandfather owned years and years and years before. I mean, I remember going and playing pool in there. The, the floor um, was sticky. It always kind of smelled like beer and old stuff. Um, and we would get soda pop in bottles out of a uh, soda thing that they, that they had there. Um, there was a lot of, of dry grass. Uh, the, color, the color palette was like, like hay and brown. Um, tons of grasshoppers. It was really, really hot all the time. Um, and uh, there was a lot of denim, like lots of jeans. Everybody wore jeans, even when it was like 112 degrees. So we would go visit. Um, we'd visit relatives there. Um, that's Utica. Just kind of keep that in mind. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Nazareth is the Utica of Israel. Nothing big or good or well-known comes out of Utica or comes out of Nazareth. This is the beginning of the humiliation of Jesus. Jesus is born a man and he's made low, a servant, born in the Utica of Israel. He's made low so that he might one day be exalted. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And I can imagine this and, and ask you to imagine this with me. Um, she's a typical 13-year-old girl. Imagine her sitting in her room on her bed. She may have acne. She probably chews her fingernails. Her parents, maybe her brother, maybe a sister, are in the other room, and an angel shows up in her room. A real angel shows up in her room. Her tiny little house in her tiny little town to her, a 13-year-old girl. And he says, hello, God's favor is with you. And she is afraid. And she says, what on earth does that mean? What does it mean that God's favor is with me? Well, one thing that it means is it means that God's grace is for the lowly. From the very beginning of Jesus' story, we see that God's grace is for the low ones, the low in stature, the low in heart, and Mary is humble in both. But the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And I can imagine Gabriel, go with me here. I can imagine Gabriel sitting down on the edge of her bed, announcing God's salvation to this young girl and to the whole world. Don't be afraid. God's grace is with you. You're going to become a mother. 
and you're gonna have a son. And you're gonna call him Jesus, which I'm sure you already know means God saves. And if he wanted to, he could have continued and he could have said this. He could have said, from the very beginning, Mary, Yahweh has had a plan. Adam and Eve, Abraham and Isaac, all of Israel, all of it, all of it pointed to right this moment. Yahweh has planned to send his son to fix everything, to redeem all things to himself, to sit on the throne of David and to call all people to himself. And for that to happen, God has to be born as a man, a servant. He's actually going to take on human flesh. And for that to happen, he needs a mother. And the Lord's grace to you, Mary, is that you're the one who's going to be his mother. And then I picture Gabriel sitting there telling her this and leaning in and saying, you want to know what he's going to be like? You want to know what your son is going to be like? He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Great. John the Baptist is called great before the Lord, but your son, Jesus, God saves. Jesus, he is the Lord. He is the great one. In the past, the prophets, the writers of scripture, they used great to refer to God. His wisdom is great. His works are great. His power is great. His mercy is great. But great is the Lord and most worthy of all praise. And he will be called the son of the most high. That was one of David's favorite terms for the Lord, the most high. And your son is the son of the Lord most high. He is the Lord of hosts, the God of all creation. And then the angel tells her, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Your son is going to be a king. Remember long ago, God promised David that his son would have a kingdom and that it would never end. This was the Davidic, the Davidic covenant, promise of a son, a house, and an everlasting rule. And through the line of your husband-to-be, Joseph, who you're not even married to yet, your son is going to be a descendant in the line of David, and he's going to come and take his majestic rule on that throne forever and ever. And scripture says that he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. As king, he's going to rule over Jacob's descendants, the house of Israel, the people of God, those of the faith of Abraham. And he's a unique king because that kingdom is never, ever going to stop. It's never going to come to an end. It's never going to be halted. And his king is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to cry out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it won't be a warning. It's instead an invitation. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is actually here in my person. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? How? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, at creation, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the waters of the earth. In the Garden of Eden, he overshadowed Adam and Eve. During the Exodus, he overshadowed the tabernacle in glory and in the cloud. On Sinai, he overshadowed the Israelites in a storm. And Mary, he's going to overshadow you in blessing as the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation history is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Your son, God saves, 
who is going to be the Holy One of God. And Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel leaves her. Once again, the annunciation of a birth brings hope into hopelessness. But this hope into hopelessness is a little bit different. It's not to her particular circumstances. It's hope being spoken into the hopelessness of mankind to us who are alienated from God, separated from our creator by our own sin. But now, this enunciation of a birth brings hope because it's going to bring true life. God tells this teenage girl that true hope is going to come through her son. In the birth and the death and the resurrection of her son, we will be given new life. We as his children will be born again hope to the hopeless. That's us as followers of Jesus. That's the annunciation of true hope and of true life. That's what we inherit as children of the living God. If we left it there, it would be okay. But when we talk about hope and hopelessness, I think we want to be honest and we want to be forthright with the reality. The reality is that hopelessness, when we come to Christ, does not disappear. In fact, I would say that hopelessness, in a sense, is the universal experience of the Christian. But it's a different kind of hopelessness. The hopelessness that we eventually experience is a hopelessness in in reliance upon self. And here's what I mean. As followers of Jesus, we know our temptation to rely on self. And we can be pretty good at it. Right? We, can, we can control circumstances to a degree. We can control desires to a degree. We want so badly to control and shape and form and hold on to. We can sometimes even control people. But it usually happens that at some point, we run 100 miles per hour into a wall where we realize that we are no longer able to rely upon ourselves. We can no longer control circumstances. We can no longer control the things that are before us. And we find ourselves in a deep, deep sense of hopelessness because we know we are not capable of being God. We know we are not capable to actually control anything at all. And what do we do? That is where God speaks hope into the hopelessness of self. Because in the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we actually have the ability to live lives of faith. Paul talks about it. He says, the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. A really simple, earnest, honest question. Ask yourself, do I actually live a life of faith? Am I living by faith or am I living this life where I'm actually trying to control every single element and every part of it, where I so badly and so deeply grasp to hold on to control of everything that's happening around me because it's the only time that I feel safe. That's not the life of faith. In fact, when Paul is talking about this, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that doesn't mean that Jesus is Uh, in you animating and turning you into a puppet. What it means is that when you become a new creation, when you're born again and you have that new heart, when you have the heart of Jesus Christ, 
It is his heart that then animates your desires, animates your hopes. It shapes your behaviors. It turns your heart into his heart and his heart shapes your heart. When you run into that wall and realize that you can't control, that you come to the end of self and you actually say, okay, Lord, I actually want to live by faith. His heart allows us to have his desires. When Christ lives in us, it allows us to actually have his hopes and to actually begin to have his behaviors. But then here's the beauty, right? You say that and you're like, just like Mary, how? Because even though I know I've been redeemed, I know the sin that's in my heart. How is it possible? How can I do it? And it's the same answer. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that overshadowed creation, the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary, that Holy Spirit doesn't overshadow us, but comes and dwells within us and actually gives us the ability to live faithfully before our God. Birth brings hope to hopelessness. Christ brings life to us when we're dead and the Spirit makes a life of faith actually possible. It's possible. There is actually hope. If you are at the end of self and you know you can't do it anymore, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand in the person of Jesus and it's an invitation to come, to live a life of faith powered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here and Jesus is your king. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are gracious um, and kind and merciful. We are so grateful for this season of Advent where we get to reflect upon the annunciation of the birth of your son, where we get to celebrate his birth at Christmas. I pray, Father, that there, during this time, um, please, Lord, draw us close to you. Um, help us to uh, see the end of ourselves that we might rely uh, fully and really on you and help us desire, Lord, to live lives of faith powered by your Holy Spirit, hearts transformed by you, desiring the things that you love and hating the things that you hate. Lord, will you be with us? Please be gracious to us and bless these students as they're coming to the end of finals. I pray that you give them wisdom. I pray that you would help them prioritize their time. Please, Lord, help them to remember to eat and drink and rest. And I pray, Father, that you will sustain them. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise and thanks in Christ's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.